We're in the book of Jude, and uh, let's take a, take a few moments today. Uh, the, the passage of Jude is just one chapter. It's a short letter. We believe that probably Jude grew up with Jesus in the same home. He and his brother Joseph and James and Simon were all siblings of Jesus. Those four names are given to us in the Bible. And so uh, most people believe there's a possibility that he may have been one of the apostles, but I don't think so. He didn't introduce himself as an apostle. He just introduced him as the servant of Jesus. And the, the one who wrote the book of James is probably his brother too. So two brothers, they grew up with Jesus. Took them a while to figure out that he was the true Messiah. Maybe they were a little bit bitter because their mother and dad kept saying, why can't you just be like Jesus? I don't know if that's true. But I can imagine as they, they grew up and they knew the Lord, and he calls himself Jude, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He opens the book and tells them, I, I want to I wanna write to you about how wonderful it is to be saved. And by the way, there are lots of things that come that bless my heart about being saved. And we ought to live there. If you get very far from remembering the moment of salvation and the treasure that you got when you exchanged your sin for God's Son, you'll live a very low life and you'll become very short-sighted. You won't be able to see afar off and uh, you'll probably fall. We have to continue to remind ourselves of the blessings of being God's child. He said, I really wanted to write about that, but I got to write to you to challenge you, to exhort you, to earnestly contend for the faith. That's what Jude's purpose is. He said, I want you to keep fighting. I want you to contend and, and protect and propagate the truth. I want you to be faithful to the very end. A statement we sometimes say at First Baptist Church, all of us, all the way. One more time, all of us, all of us, all the way, going to uh, the throne of God one day, having done the right thing the right way for the right reason for a whole lifetime. He said, I'd love to just talk about salvation, but I've got a right to you to earnestly contend for the faith. We'll talk about that in a few moments, but really, at the end, he makes a statement that you're probably familiar with in verse number 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. As we go into 2024, a passion to make a difference. To make a difference, you've got to be a little different. There are some things that have to happen inside of us to, be, to make a difference in this world. And God help us if we'll accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and then really just, uh, just a flip-flop through life without making a difference in someone else's life. No one ever shows up in church because of me. Nobody is, is really helped because of me. I, I sap the strength out of an institution rather than giving life into it. Well, we need people to make a difference. I hope you will take 2024 and the rest of your life and be committed with passion. Lord, help my life matter for eternity. I'm not here to impress you, and you're certainly not here to impress me. But we ought to live in an audience of one. We have nothing to prove. We have one person to please. And if we'll please him, we will make a difference in the community and in your home for good and for God. I want to be a part of a church that makes a difference. If you're sitting in the balcony this morning, I want you to make a difference. If you're over here on my right side or you're listening from the nursery today or you're a security personnel, I want all of us to make a difference. If you're young, you have a lifetime until Jesus comes to make a difference. If you're older, most of our life is behind us. Let's ask God, Lord, please, 
Help me to have the whatever it takes to make a difference in the lives of people, especially those without Jesus. And we ought, to be con- we ought to be consumed with that because that's what God's consumed with, getting the gospel to the regions beyond. Well, as I told you, Jude wrote this letter. He said, I'd like to just write to the people who have been saved, sanctified, set apart by God, preserved by God. By the way, if you are truly saved, you are preserved. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 tells us we're kept by the power of God. Once you're born into God's family, you can't be unborn. He tells you, I've given you eternal life and you'll never perish because you're preserved by God and called. And by the way, many of us have been called to serve the Lord. We just haven't picked up the phone. We hear it ringing. God's challenging us to give, to love, to serve, to go, to pray, to minister. And we just, we just sit soaking sour. I don't want to be that way. I don't want you to be that way. We joke around about why God puts a pastor in a church to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. That's part of my job. If you don't feel like, I remember when a banker started coming to church on a regular basis, and I remember him coming for several, he, he thought it was all good at first. And then about two months into it, he said, you know what, I'm going to go to another church. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear about that. He said, Every, I just want to come and hear the word. But when I come hear you, the whole service tries to provoke me to do something. Like you're showing videos of missionaries. Look, I, I don't need to hear. I need to hear the word. You make me feel like I need to do something, to give something. I just want to come and enjoy the word. I said, well, go somewhere else. Because we are going to hear the word, but the, the, the word of God gives us faith. And God wants to show our faith by our works. It's the stimulus of God's word. The whole purpose for the word is so that you get the proverbial kick in the pants to go do something for the Lord. There is no reward for well done, thou good and faithful spectator. God wants us to serve and minister for him. And Jude says that. Jude says, look, if, if you're saved and you've been preserved by God and called by God, then let's, this letter's for you. I love to just talk about salvation, but we got to talk about contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints and it must keep on going. You can't drop the baton. You got to keep fighting to keep the truth going. And stay faithful to God all the way to the end. He said, you're going to need to be faithful because there are four four things that come against the church. Number one, and by the way, the devil knows better than to get a pastor to come up here and teach us on three ways to worship Satan this week. No, no, he's not going to teach you that. He's going to slip in uh, truth with some error. Infiltration is his way. And he says there's four things. There's four things that that we have to contend against. Number one, you contend uh, uh, initially in verse number through four there, you see against the cults about certain men who have crept in underwears. He said God has infiltrated true Bible-believing Christians and churches and Christendom with cults that don't teach the truth. He said you you got to contend against cults. Number two, you have to contend against cares. Say, Pastor, what in the world's a tear? A tear is is something that is planted at the same time with wheat, and it looks like wheat. It springs up out of the ground like wheat, and it just crows along with wheat, and at the end, it has no fruit. It's not a wheat. It was an imposter in the field. And he said, just like that in every church, and this one is no exception, there are people here, you're not saved and you know it. 
you're not a Christian. You're a tear. And if you're a tear this morning, you look like a Christian. You serve like a Christian. You're going along to get along. Everybody in your family thinks you're a Christian. But you and God knows you're not truly a saved. You're a tear. You're growing up with us. And one day, God's going to remove the tares from the wheat. He's going to remove the sheep from the, from the goats. He's going to draw the line. And some will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We, we preached a few messages. Remember when we did that? We sang a few songs. And I played in the, in the orchestra. And I took the offering. And I helped in this duty. And I, we supported. Remember I gave that walk-up offering? And he'll say, uh, no, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker. I never knew you. I hate that. When we go to heaven, we're going to be surprised by two things. Number one, the people that are there. Really? I'm surprised. Well, good. I'm glad. And then we're going to be surprised about the people that aren't there. Like, where's brother? Where's sister? Where are they at? Well, listen, friends, you don't want to be a tear, but he said that's one of our enemies. Satan infiltrates Christian churches and godly churches with, with false teaching, cults, with tares. He infiltrates them with angels, fallen angels. We will call them demons. And they're right here in this room. I can't see them. I really hope you can't either. <laughs> but they're alive and well. You know, in, in any kind of a church that's doing something for God, matter of fact, there's a few more people. You, you, usually there's a few more demons sent to a church that is doing something for God than one that's not. You say, Pastor, man, Jesus was, have all these demon-possessed people. You know why? Most of the demons of the world were sent to wherever Jesus was while he was on this earth to keep him from doing what he was supposed to do. And when you and I are doing what God wants us to do, Satan certainly has a, his share of demonic activity that takes place. More so than in a place where there's just, there's nothing going on. It's a dead. He said, you better watch out. You better contend against the cults and false teachers. You better contend against the tares. You won't even know who they are until later. They'll go out from us because they really were not of us. And then you want it, by the way, if you are someone who doesn't have that settled, the greatest mistake in the world is to go to hell over a mistake. Make sure you get that settled. I'm not here to scare you. Get it settled. And then watch out for demons. And then watch out for the world system. Would you look at verse number seven or verse number six? And the angels that were kept, that's six. Verse seven, even as the Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, homosexuality, immorality, and sent forth an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The world system. And, you know, God wants us not to be spotted from the world. I'm glad God put me in a church when I was young. And I'm glad for these 56 years the Lord has kept me in a church that, that just elevates the holy life just a tad bit more in its behavior and its actions. If you want to be in the loosey-goosey environment, knock yourself out. But the world loves to infiltrate vibrant churches. He likes to put in uh, the world system and the world's thinking. Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. 1 John chapter 2 says, look, love not the world. Neither the things are in the world. If you men love the, the, the world, love the fathers not. You can't love flowers unless you hate weeds. 
You can't love God and be in love with the world at the same time. James is very strong when he says in chapter 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? If you think that you can have a right relationship with God and let the world infiltrate your life, you got another thing coming. James in chapter 1, he says, if someone has a devotion to the word of God, there'll be three things you'll see in their life. Number one, they'll have bridled speech. Number two, they'll have a benevolence and a giving spirit. If you're stingy, if you and I find ourselves trying to get all we can and can all we get and sit on our can and tell people how much we have in our can, that's our mentality. It's because we don't have a real relationship with the Bible. If we don't have a real relationship with the Bible, we don't have a real relationship with God. But when you have a relationship with the Bible, you'll be bridled in your speech, you'll be benevolent in your giving, and you'll be blameless in your separation. You'll not be spotted up in the world. Jesus prayed in John 17, he says, look. He said, uh, Father, I don't want you to take my men out of the world, but keep the world out of my men. I don't want them all speckled with the world, spotted with the world. Elevate your behavior. Love the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not. The, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How can you keep a clean life in a wicked world? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Oh, have a relationship with the Bible. He goes on to begin to tell them that, that these people from these sources of false teaching and demonic field ponds on Satan's board to be moved here and there to aggravate his work and tears unsaved people in the work of God and the world system that has blended into our thinking. They'll be, def they'll be defilers. They'll defame. They'll cast accusations against godly leaders. They stir it up rather than, than make things peaceful. They're not peacemakers. They're, they, they create issues. They're defamers, they're defilers. And then he, he introduces two Old Testament, three Old Testament people, Cain and Balaam and then Korah. He says, they'll be like these guys, Cain, a doctrine of salvation by works that leads to violence. See, any kind of salvation that has works as its motivation to get saved will eventually go to violence. And that's just the way it is. Salvation by faith does not have that. Many people will argue with you and say, religion has caused so many wars. You know why? Because the religion of works. That's why, that's why they cause wars. He said Cain is a type of religion, and it's a type of salvation by works that led to violence, the killing of his own brother Abel. And then he goes on to talk about Balaam. Balaam was an example of using spiritual leadership for personal financial gain. And that's in the world today. Religion and Christendom is filled with people who are now swapping over into works for salvation. One of the things that, that grieved me about the Calvinistic mentality is that last one especially, but many of them. But the perseverance of the saints. If you believe that fifth point, you, you can't be for sure you're saved. You have to keep persevering. That leads into works. No wonder John Calvin was responsible for hurting and, and massacring and killing true believers. I think it's something to be concerned about. 
but then also to use spiritual influence for personal gain. Now, God has put money in the middle of the ministry. And all of us have thought about money today already. You have thought about it, and I thought about it. And when you come to church, you ought to think about it. You ought to bring your Bible, two books, your Bible and your checkbook. <laughs> you ought to be ready to give an offering to the Lord. I believe that every Christian ought to come with a gift to the Lord when they come to church. I believe it's what God wants. You can't even find worship in the Old Testament without giving. And we think, all you want to do is talk about money. No, no, no. God put money in the middle because he knew that would be where our heart is. But Balaam was an example of a leader who, who used his spiritual influence to get personal gain. That's a problem. And then the sons of Korah. That, that represents people who rebel against spiritual leadership in their life. I think about some folks sometimes whenever you have, a, you have a Sunday school teacher, a spiritual leader, a mom or dad who's spiritual, you have someone who really has obviously the fruit of the Spirit, you better be careful about accusations and innuendos and criticisms. That's what Korah did. And whenever Jude is telling us about these people, he said, look, man, stay away from Cain. Stay away from Balaam. Stay away from Korah. Those who, who, who cause, stir it up against spiritual leadership like Korah did against Moses in the Old Testament. He'll go on to define some other things and talk about these people. He, he calls them people that are empty. They're clouds without rain. I mean, there's a lot of thunder and lightning, but there's no rain. No fruitfulness. He calls them twice dead. What do you think that means? Yeah, they're dead physically and they're going to die spiritually, separated from God. Twice dead. Because they've never been born twice. Here's the Bible math. You're born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die only once. These folks are twice dead. They're critical. They're murmurs. They're awaiting judgment. They're self-centered. They, they, they're heretics. And when you think... Heresy, you think bad teaching, but in the Bible, oftentimes a heretic is someone who creates a cause, a grievance. They draw a line and they try to get other people on their side of the cause. It's in this room. There are people, you get a problem, and, and so you draw a line. And you, your whole goal is to get more people on your side of the, of the perspective of the line. It's a heretic. That's why the Bible tells you, if you, if you once you see a heretic... Well, you warn him once or twice, and then you, you treat him like an unsaved person. You mark him because he's stirring up, and there's a lot of things that God doesn't like, and I don't know of any of this going on, but I know what happens in every group, in every church. you got the heretics that, that create a cause and try to give people their cause. He said, look, uh, you know, there's six things the Lord hates, yea, seventh is abomination to him, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Well, it's amazing Jude wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. Do you find it relative today? Do you know why? Because we have the same human nature. We have the same devil who's very experienced for the last 6,000 years of doing the same thing the wrong way over and over again. Very experienced. But as he comes down to this passage of Scripture, he says, no, but you need to make a difference. And you can make a difference in this world. And he's going to give them four things, and we're going to talk about them as we conclude this evening in the, in the message. But I'll give them to you real quickly. The first thing that we must do if we're going to make a difference is that we must build ourselves up 
by our most holy faith. Would you look at verse 20? Read it with me out loud, everyone. If your neighbor is sleeping, would you read it loud enough so they'll resurrect, all right? Verse number 20, are you ready? But ye, beloved, praying in the Holy Ghost. Here he goes. He says, but ye, and that, of course, transitioning from all that, those uh, problems of the modern day and the problems in the church family and in the Christian realm. He said, but you, you brethren, you people who are saved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. You know, there is one main way in which you are built up in your most holy faith, and it is the Bible that you have in your lap. That word is one of the ways you're built up. Now, I'm glad you've come to church this morning, but God help you if this is only spiritual nourishment you get all week long. You need to have a Bible in your home. You need to have one in your, at your workplace or take it with you. Hey, the Bible ought to be your sword. It ought to be your charter. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. His doctrines are holy, his precepts are binding, his histories are true, and his decisions, you can't change them. That's why I think when the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift, he's talking directly about the Bible. With whom there is no verbiness or shadow of turn. Hey, listen, don't change your Bible, let your Bible change you. When you read the Bible, let the Bible read you. Let it be able to show you some things. It's the Christian's charter. It's a soldier's sword. It's given to you in, li in life and be open again to judgment. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy contents. You got a Bible? Boy, you got to love your Bible. I would encourage you to mark your Bible. Read it, underline it, write notes to yourself if you need be. I love seeing an old saint's Bible. Tells me a lot about them. Tells me a lot about uh, their life and their interests and what, what really ministered to them. It tells me a lot about their time. And I'm not suggesting you tear your Bible up, but someone said this, when you see a Bible that's been falling apart because of use, it probably belongs to someone who's not falling apart. Someone wrote a poem, though the cover is worn and though some pages are torn. And though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in this precious old book, many pleasures and treasures I see, many trophies of love from the Father above who's nearest and dearest to me. This old book, it's my guide. It's a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way and every promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and I heed it every day. Oh, listen, friend. Faith is fostered from the Bible. I'm going to start a verse. You can finish it for me. So then faith cometh by and hearing by. Yeah. See, the most important thing about you and me is, is what comes to our mind when we think about God. And when you think about God, the most important thing is, is this. Can I trust him? Does he love me? Does he care about me? Can I believe him? The reason people do not serve God is because they don't trust God. The reason people don't give aggressively to God is they don't trust him. It's a faith walk. The reason you and I don't forgive people that have hurt us, because we're not sure that God will be the great equalizer in the matter. So we stay on, we're getting off our rug to make sure someone else's pays. And the Bible's already told us what God said. Be ye kind ones, another, tenderhearted. Yeah, that's, that's God's opinion. 
And some of us build a whole case on why that person doesn't need to be forgiven. And so I'm going to continue to keep them by their proverbial throat and make them pay. You know why? Because you don't trust God. You know why you don't trust God? You don't have the right relationship we need to have with the Bible. See, the Bible reveals to us who the real God is. And when you find out the real God, you'll trust him. You'll love him. You'll serve him. You, you, you'll trust him. You know, the Bible tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because he that cometh to God must believe two things about God. Number one, that he is. He is who he said he was. He is the savior of the world. He is the creator of the world. He is the one who can forgive your sins and save you. But not only that, the second reason for Bible and for faith is that he is a rewarder of those who would diligently seek him. Most of us that are saved will will accept God's forgiveness for our sin. But we're not sure that we can trust his rewarding process. We're not really, I mean, if I really give my heart to the Lord, I mean, what's my life going to be like? It'll be more abundant than you can ever imagine. That's what it's going to be like. But you know what you'll have to do? You'll have to trust God. You'll get to have faith in him. Believe him. You mean if I forgive my offender? Yes, if you forgive your offender, that's, that's trusting God. If I give my tithe and my offering, yeah, that, that's faith. That's trusting God. See, we don't see God. We don't see him. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen heaven or hell. But I believe him because someone showed me the Bible. And after I believe, number one, now I need to continue to have faith in God so that I can please him. Because without faith, it's impossible. And Jude says, listen, if you're going to make a difference, you've got to build yourself up by your most holy faith. And that means I've got to love the Bible, read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, memorize the Bible, talk about the Bible, obey the Bible. Do you have a relationship with your Bible? Do you you care about it? You know, sometimes people don't care about the Bible because they never really got the real appetite that comes with salvation. Being born again brings you a new appetite for spiritual things. If you don't have that, you might want to make sure that you understand what salvation is. And if you have just, you've gotten saved, but you've just kind of starved yourself out and you are the proverbial uh, poster child for spiritual starvation. You, you don't feel hungry, but even though you should be hungry, you need to get back to the scriptures and let them feed you again. And may God help us to have also a heart for the Lord. You know, when when children are born, they want to know their dad. And they want to please their dad. It just goes with being a child. Even if your dad was not a good person, you wish he were. And those of you who have a good dad, you're so thankful that you had a dad that, that affirmed you, that gave you paternal affirmation, cared about you. And when you got a good report card, you wanted to see. Did dad see it? When you go play ball, you want to see, did, was dad there? You want the affirmation of a father. Jesus said, I do all those things which please the father. Sonship and childship means I want to have a right relationship with the father. To have a right relationship with the father, I need to know him. That's why Apostle Peter said it this way, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You only know Jesus through a relationship with the scriptures. And then we can make a difference because, number one, we'll build up ourselves by our most holy faith.
Let's pray together.